Matthew 24, please. Actually, we're going to start today, Matthew 23. Matthew 23, because really 21 through 25 is the setup and then the actual Olivet Discourse that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Everybody do their assignment I asked you to do last week. Y'all remember what it was? Read Matthew 21 through 25. Hopefully you did that. So you began to get an understanding as we're dealing with Jesus and the last days. I want you to look, it says in verse 27 of 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is Jesus Christ speaking the truth in love. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part in, with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I want you to put yourself into the mindset of a first century Jew, if you would not mind. What is being stated here is something that the Jews would know. And what was that? It's basically what he is saying is that these things are going to occur and Jesus was giving to them Old Testament prophecy. He's laying out to this Jewish audience, especially Matthew, the way Matthew is structured. He's laying out to them the gospel that Jesus is proclaiming that is actually going to fulfill in his time all the law and the prophets. And that his first coming, the coming of Jesus Christ, is ushering in a new covenant to replace an old covenant. But along with this... 
His kingdom is going to be established on earth until he comes again. It's not going to be established 2,000 years from now as the only time the kingdom is established as some teach and some things that you may have heard, but he establishes the kingdom then in the first century and it's continuing now. But when we look at this, understand this, this whole passage, when you read chapter 24 and you look at it and you see it and you read it in its full context, that if you take a futurist perspective on this, that all the things that are going to be stated in Matthew 24 and 25 are not going to happen until 2,000 to 2,500 years later, it gives fodder to atheists who proclaim that Jesus was a liar. That Jesus was a liar. In fact, it's been used in debates over and over again. Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, loves this passage to quote because he comes up and says, look, Jesus said all these things were going to happen and they didn't happen. Jesus is a liar. But they did happen. But they happened, folks, in the first century. And that's what we're going to try to study and try to understand. I understand the traditional teaching that these things are going to happen all, you know, it's going to be years and years and years from now, from the time of the cross until whenever this may be. But I want to try to convince you or at least get you to consider that these things may have already been fulfilled. And I'll give you a hint. Even the great tribulation has been fulfilled. Don't throw stones. <laughs> Don't throw rocks. But We'll get to that in the coming weeks. Here's what I want you to look at, though, today, our journey today. Matthew wrote his book from the perspective of getting people to understand that prophecy had been fulfilled right before their very eyes. So I want us to take a journey today. We're going to look at God's plan of redemption and judgment so that you can understand what is going to be said in Matthew 24. So do I have my, my, my thing queued up? Is it going? Do we know? Did it happen? There it is. We got it. Yay. There it is. Okay. Here's one of the things. I'm going to go fast. I'm going to cover all of the Old Testament today. Y'all got time? All the Old Testament today. And all of Matthew up to 24. That's what I'm going to cover today. So we want to see this because once you get this understanding of where this is going, going and the fulfillment of it all through the Old Testament and through up to Matthew 24, you begin to start understanding some things. So first of all, we're going to look at the plan of redemption. All of you know about the fall, right? I shouldn't have to tell you about Genesis. We look back in Genesis and we know that man ate of the fruit, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and he fell. In fact, you could hear Adam on the way out of the garden telling Eve, thank you very much, you ate us out of house and home. Then we have the promise in Genesis 3.15, which is called the first gospel ever given. It says this, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is talking about the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
We know that there is an eternal conflict, and we understand that what's happening is that Satan came, he deceived, God cursed him, the snake, and this gives us the promise of a seed, the promise of a Savior that's going to come and he's going to crush Satan. That's the very first thing. That's the promise from God at the very beginning of time. And then what God did was set up things called covenants. As you look throughout the scripture, you will see these four different covenants. The Noahic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, and Davidic covenants. Now, what in the world are those? This is what they are. What did the Noahic covenant say after, after uh, the flood? God comes to Noah and says, be fruitful and multiply. You have fulfilled that covenant. Why? Because you were born. Your parents had you. What were they doing? They were being fruitful and multiplying. That's exactly what was happening at this time. Being fruitful and multiplying. The other thing is he told them to have dominion over all of creation. And therefore we do have dominion over all creation. That is what we have gotten there. Then the Abrahamic covenant came. And God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, you are going to be a great nation. He says also, your name is going to be great. God then gave him divine protection. And then he said, Abraham will be a blessing to all families. Did that come true? Has that already been fulfilled? That he's going to be a blessing to all family. Listen to Galatians 3.14. It says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In other words, when we receive Christ, we then are adopted into that family of Abraham and because of the blessings of Christ, we receive the blessings of Abraham. It comes to all people who receive Jesus Christ. So is that fulfilled and is it continuing to be fulfilled? Anytime someone trusts in Jesus Christ, do they get this blessing? Absolutely. So this has continued to be filled. Now we have the Mosaic Covenant. And this is what he promises to Israel during the time when God was uh, communicating with Moses. He promises to make Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Folks, does that sound familiar to you? If you've ever read 1 Peter, it says in this, chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen Race, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is what has happened. That is continuing. But in the Old Testament, this was a conditional thing in that the blessings of God that God promised are directly related to obedience. Obedience and disobedience. Obedience to the Mosaic law. And if Israel was obedient, then God would bless them. If they disobeyed, then God would punish them. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 28, if you read it, it talks about the blessings and the cursings. The way they set this up, 
so the people of Israel would remember it. They were in a valley. They would get on two mountains. They would have some on this side and some on that side. And they would holler out, here's the blessings, here's the cursing. So the people would hear. And they would hear the law. And they would hear the blessings. And then they would hear the cursings of what would happen if you were disobedient to the law. Then we moved on from there. And we see the Davidic covenant. And this is what God was going to do. He's going to provide a home for the nation of Israel that was given to David. A king would come whose throne would be eternal. His throne would be eternal. David's son will build the temple, but David's house will be built through another. Now, when we look at the scriptures, this another, this one that's going to sit on the throne of David, who do you think that was? It's Jesus Christ. It refers to the Messiah. He is the son of David. But as you move through and from the Davidic covenants, what happens is that you have the prophets. I thought I'd draw this picture for you today and uh, worked on that all week. But what is we saying? Judgment, however, is coming. Judgment is coming. Now, this is what he put in there. I'm going to read part of this scripture to you. I just put the last verse in there. But this is what he says in Isaiah. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, and that was an abomination and a breaking of the law, and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near to me, for I am too holy for you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Before it's written before me, behold, it's written before me. I will not keep silent. I will repay. I indeed I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together. Then he goes on in verse 8 and says, Behold, it's written before me, I will not keep silent. I will repay. You remember Romans chapter 12? It says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. What's he say? I will repay. I will indeed repay into their bosom both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, saith the Lord. That was from Isaiah. Ezekiel goes on, and he gives something that is absolutely amazing. If you have time to read Ezekiel 16, read it. It is, it is very descriptive if you haven't read it. It talks about a baby being born. And a baby lying in its own blood. And it's saying how the father has come. And that how he has come and taken that baby and that cleaned it up. And then it starts talking about how this baby has grown. And that God took this baby for his wife. Listen to what some of it says. It says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you, covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. 
Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose. Hmm. Nose rings in the Old Testament. Ear rings in your ears. A beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was fine linen, silk, embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. But you trusted your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and played the whore. The like has never been nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and silver which I had given you and made for yourself images of men and with them played the whore. And it goes on and it goes on to describe these things. In fact, it says... You were worse than the prostitute. The prostitute did it for money. You just did it just to do it. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He goes on in Ezekiel and says, How sick is your heart? How sick it was. Folks, it's interesting. If you look at Revelation 17, and let me just read something to you just real quickly. It says... Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who has sitting on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of those whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away into the spirit, into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. Listen. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Doesn't that sound just like what we read? Being clothed with jewels and pearls and fine silk and fine leather all kinds of things. This was a prophecy. Now, if you look at Revelation, which we're going to get into, I want to show you at a later time as we move through this study, I believe that the Revelation, the book of Revelation, from chapters 4 on to chapter 19, are a picture, are a picture, a symbolic picture of what is happening in Matthew 24. I don't believe it's this picture that we have. Way back when, over all these years, 2,000 years, that all these things are going to happen because the church has been raptured out of here. I believe it's a symbolic depiction of what is happening to the nation of Israel as portrayed by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 24. But that is another lesson. So we look at Ezekiel. We move on. And we understand, though, We have those things that are going to happen 
with us and through us and are to Israel through this. And we see, though, that salvation, though judgment is coming, salvation through a Messiah and a new kingdom is coming. You know this one. We read it every, every Christmas. Listen to what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. In other words, he is going to what? Rule. He is going to reign. Matthew 28 says, All authority is given to me in heaven and where? On earth. This is a fulfillment through Jesus Christ. Government will be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And listen, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now think with me. Think with me. You have probably been taught that everything's going to get worse. It's all going to get worse. It's all going to be terrible. And then we have the rapture. And then we have seven years of more terribleness in the tribulation. But this one, this verse says something totally different. Of the increase of his government, the continual rule, the continual reign, the continual kingdom of God, and of his peace, there's not going to be an end. It's going to continue on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with righteousness and with justice from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah comes along and says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Understand something, dear folks. Listen to what this has to say. Because of this, salvation through a Messiah and a new kingdom. There is that teaching that there is the nation of Israel, that God has a plan separate for them, and then there is the church, that the church has a separate plan, God has a separate plan for the church, that the church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. But according to Jeremiah chapter 31, we says, it says that I will make a covenant with the house of Israel after those days. When we get over to the New Testament, we have to understand this. That we become, as we look at it through Romans chapter 11 and other places, we have become the true Israel. Those laws have been written on our hearts. We have been opened up to the law that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was written on our hearts. We belong to God. We are his people. So therefore, these things have been fulfilled through Jesus Christ and now we become the true Israel. It goes on. Zechariah says this, according to about a Messiah. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be where? From sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. Where is Jesus' rule? Everywhere. Everywhere. But it goes on. Y'all stay with me here. Don't fall asleep on me yet. Because this is what happens. And this is the precursor to Matthew. The book of Matthew. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger in the, in the book from the famous Italian prophet Malachi. Chapter 3. Chapter 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you will seek, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift, a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me. He keeps going in this. He says, behold, the day is coming. What's it like? Burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So what happens, folks? What happens is that we have these covenants. These covenants are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We have this setup. The Jews know this. They have studied this all of their lives. They have studied it. They know it. They understand it. And we come and understand from after Malachi, there's 400 plus years that go by. And they're still anticipating a Messiah. They're still anticipating that things are going to happen. They have been taught all this time. They are awaiting his kingdom. And then all of a sudden in Matthew chapter 3, there's this dude that shows up. His name is John the Baptist. What was he? He was actually the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah and Malachi. So what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? Listen to what he says. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he restores all things. But he wasn't talking about 2,000 years from the time of the cross. Listen to what he says. I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him. I have a note. Oh. Dear folks, I need to... Have a funeral. The note says, my mic is dead. 
has it been dead? Can you know, I, I, I couldn't hear it. Okay. Anyway, use pulpit. I won't move. Okay. And thank you for my vodka. <laughs> Good. All right. Where were I? Okay, listen to what it says. 400 years goes by as the fulfillment. This is what Jesus says. I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at the hands. Then at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of who? John the Baptist. So we continue on. What was his message? Repent. For the kingdom of God is where? At hand. Now, folks, understand this. We talked about this last week. In interpreting the scriptures, you have to look at the time event indicators. You look at those things and try to understand them. You will see it says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If I came to you and says, hey, hey, guess what? Today... Or next week, February 7th, on TV, the Super Bowl is at hand. What am I speaking of? It's about to what? It's about to happen. So John the Baptist is not saying, hey guys, the kingdom of God is at hand 2,000 years from now. He's saying, no, it's at hand. It is here. And yet the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out and here's part of his message. He hey buds, hey religious guys, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The judgment that is going to happen to you in this generation. And then he says something really interesting. He says the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. When you look at that from the Greek construction, it says it's already there and it's present tense. It's happening right now. Who is the root? The root was the Jewish nation. The axe has already been laid. In other words, John the Baptist was saying, guys, this is not something that's happening 2,000 years from now. This is happening now. It's already going to happen. Judgment is coming. That's that after John was absent, uh, repent. And you understand that after John was, uh, saw Jesus and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who is slain from the foundation of the world, this Lamb of God that's going to take away sins, we understand that Jesus, after baptizing, then began to preach. And what did Jesus preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Same message. That's important to know because Jesus is saying all this time from the prophets, from covenants to the prophets, this is being fulfilled. Judgment is coming. This is what's happening because you still played the prostitute. You still rebelled. You still did not obey my law. And in fact, Jesus goes on in Matthew 10. Listen to what he says. What's going to happen? Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, listen, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What was he referring to? That day, that age, that generation, he is saying, you're not going to go through all these towns. You're not going to be able to get to them before I come in judgment. That's what's going to happen. Then in Matthew chapter 16, this is what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Listen. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now in traditional teaching, which you've probably understood and probably heard, you're, this is a reference then to the second coming of Jesus Christ where he's going to set up his millennial kingdom and those things. But here's one of the verse that denies that kind of teaching. Listen to verse 28. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing where? Here. Where is here? In that first century, who he was talking to. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In other words, he's going to come in judgment. He's going to then do away with the Jewish sacrificial system and he is setting up his kingdom that is here now. That's what he's saying. Now, this now comes to the setting of the Olivet Discourse. Now, I know I've gone a little bit long, but bear with me just a little bit more, okay? If we look at verse 21 or chapter 21, you can kind of turn there and you can flip with me on these things. In chapter 21, Jesus basically disturbs, disturbs the whole place of Jerusalem. This is the final setup of what's going to happen, what the prophets had talked about, what Jesus is going to talk about in 24 through 25. It says, When they drew near Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples going to the village, and you will find a donkey and a colt with her, and untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he sent them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And we read it. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. Mounted on a donkey. Can you imagine what the disciples thought? The disciples knew the Old Testament. They knew it. They believed it. And all of a sudden, here, right before their eyes, they are having this fulfilled in them. So it says he disturbs the crowd because one of the things he did is he came in and they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it says when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Why? Because the whole city, these Jews knew their Old Testament and they're going, Someone's coming in here on a colt and they're saying, Hosanna. They're saying this and they're giving praise to him. Who is this? It says in chapter 20. What is happening? And he enters the temple. Again, he enters the temple. 
and he cleanses it a second time. Many of you don't know this, but a second time in John chapter two, Jesus comes and he cleanses the temple the first time. He comes back, comes back to this temple in this time and he fulfills the law of cleansing. There's a law of cleansing in Leviticus that when you were, had leprosy or that you were unclean, you had to come first the third day before the priest and be cleansed and be declared this. Then again on the seventh day to see that your cleansing was okay. Here comes Jesus. He comes to Jerusalem first in John chapter 2, cleanses the temple at that point in time, then comes back in chapter 21, cleanses it again, thus fulfilling all of the law. But you see what is happening. This is called prophetic theater. This is something that he is symbolically acting out to explain that Israel is going to be and Jerusalem is going to be overthrown in A.D. 70. Prophetic drama. It's common in the Old Testament. You remember Jeremiah. God tells him to do this before the people as they're doing it. You see Ezekiel. He says, hey, get naked and walk through the crowd and start preaching because he's saying, I'm about to uncover, God is about to uncover your nakedness. That was a acted out thing. What Jesus was doing by cleansing the temple, throwing all these things out, both the buyers and the sellers, he was rejecting their worship and saying, this place is about to be laid desolate. That is what he was saying, acting it out in that. And then from there, he goes on and curses a fig tree, which basically symbolizes the fruitlessness of Israel. And then he tells in Again, he tells the parable of the tenants. And when you look at that in the parable of the tenants, you will begin to see some things that, that it says. In the end of chapter 21, it talks about how a master comes and he sends, a king comes and he sends his servants, he sends his, his, uh, his own son and it says, the tenant saw the sons and said, this is his heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard. And then after they did that, he asked the people that were listening. He says in verse 41, he will put, he said, said to them, uh, what is he going to do those, those tenants? And the Jews said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. A miserable death. And then if you drop down to verse 43, he says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Then in verse 45, he says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. This is not speaking 2,000 years from now. He's speaking about them. That is what's happening. Oop, I went too fast. Now, here's where he goes from there. He talks about, in chapter 23, the first of it, he tells a parable in this about a wedding feast. And he says, the armies are going to come. This king, he talks about that king is coming. He prepared a wedding feast. Nobody came. They didn't want to do it and said, He's going to send his armies and they are going to rout them. They are going to destroy them and burn the city. That is a prophecy of what was going to happen in A.D. 70. But I want you to look at with me just real quickly, if you would not mind. And we'll, we will begin to jump into chapter 24 next 
week. Listen to what he says. Look at verse 23. He goes through these woes. He goes, in chapter 23, he goes through all the woes. He tells them that you're going, some of them, of these prophets that I'm going to send you, you're going to kill, you're going to crucify, and some of you will flog in the synagogues so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. Jesus is saying, look, this generation is going to experience this. All the blood of the prophets, all these people that you kill and crucify is going to come on you. And how do we know that's going to happen? I want you to move to chapter 27. Would you do that for me? As we close out today, chapter 27, if you would not mind. Okay. Look in verse 24. Pilate has already Pilate has talked with Jesus. Pilate delivers Jesus to the crowd. In verse 24, he says, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hand before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, of this man's blood. See to it yourself. Now listen to what he says. They say, and all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Do you see what he's prophesying back in verse 23? He's saying, all the righteous blood, everything that has gone on before, has now prepared this judgment time. And judgment time is near. And the people, when they crucified Jesus, Pilate turns them over and they said, let his blood be on us. And therefore, that's exactly what happened. Because God says, you know what? I am going to repay you for your, for your rebelliousness, for your prostitution, for the shedding of blood, and it is going to happen and it's going to happen in this generation. What generation? The generation Jesus was speaking to at that time. It was going to happen. And folks, as we get into this next week, we understand when he's talking on chapter 24 and he starts relating all those things that are going to happen about hearing wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations and those things, we're going to see from the time of the crucifixion to the time of 70 AD, every one of those predictions came true in that generation. But what do we take away from this today? What does it mean for you? God has a plan. Guess what that plan includes? You. Because from the time of his ascension, what did he tell us to do? Go therefore and be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into all the world. What is the plan? That means that he is coming. We know he's going to come again, but in the meantime, he's telling us, fulfill 
my words. Spread the gospel. Gather in the elect from the north, south, the east, and the west. Gather them all in. And then I will come to consummate the end of the age. So God has a plan. It's always been here. It's always, and we're a part of that plan. We are part of the kingdom now. And here's another thing is that God always keeps his promises. He can be trusted. When we're going to look at this in further in depth, you'll see that all the things that Jesus said actually happen. He keeps his promises. He can be trusted. And when Jesus says, I will give you eternal life, take it to the bank, dear people, because he is good on his promise. When Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me, I go to prepare a place for you, believe that. When he says, trust in me, believe that. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, believe that. That is eternal life. When he says, I will give you rivers of living water, springs of living water flowing out of you, believe that. That's a promise. And whatever you may be going through today, you're saying, things aren't going too well in my world right now. Go back to the promises of God. What is he going to do? Is he going to care for you? Absolutely. What did he say? Cast your cares upon him because he, what? Cares for you. God never quits caring or loving for his children. Those promises can be taken to the bank. And we have to stand on the promises. Not sit on the premises. Stand on the promises. And understand that God has got this wonderful plan. And we're a part of it. And we need to be fulfilling it. As he fulfilled a lot of his promises back during that first century. We're going to get into it. I hope you can continue to come because we're going to look at the, break this verse down. We want to see some historical context next week of the fall of Jerusalem. We're going to look at some quotes from historians, Jewish historians, that talked about everything that Jesus predicted. We're going to look at it and see it and, and, and get an understanding of it so that we can say, wow, wow, everything here now has entered into, everything has moved us into a new covenant that we are fulfilling each and every day. It's exciting to study. I pray that you'd come back and be a part of that. But folks, again, again, if you don't know Jesus Christ and he promises eternal life, understand that's a promise. He promises it. He's good on his promise. Trust Christ. Or you, as he says, will be delivered to judgment. And that's not going to be a pretty thing. So if you have questions about that, come talk to me, Brother Philip, Brother Seth, Brother Danny. Many, many people in this congregation can tell you how to have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Seek us out. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. I pray, O oh Lord, as we look and see how this plan of redemption has unfolded, this plan of judgment has unfolded, and how we now are in your kingdom. Help us, O oh Lord, to further the kingdom in all that we do and all that we say. To Father, that we would look for your glory and the glory of your coming and anticipate that. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to fulfill your commission to tell people about Jesus Christ. 
and the judgment to come. Father, I pray that you would be with them this week as they go from this place. Lord, that you would open up the word to them in ways that they've never seen before. Lord, that they would just be filled with the Spirit, that you would give them divine appointments, O Lord, bring people across their path that they can share the gospel with. And Father, help us in everything that we do to glorify you at all times. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.